Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father said to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, You did not repent and believe him. Thank you very much indeed. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we ask that as we study this passage, your Holy Spirit will teach and guide us. Please bring it home to us so that we are able to live in the enjoyment of your rule and blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, can I uh, start by thanking you Paul, very much indeed for inviting me here today. This is, I think, the first time I've been in this particular part of all your buildings. Um, For many years, I travelled to Sheffield to come to meetings at Christchurch Fullwood. Um, Back in Philip Hacking's day, I was coming to meetings here, and I always turned into that building over there. So I know that building really quite well, but I don't know this one at all, and I don't know you, so it'll be a great joy to meet you over coffee afterwards. Well, today we're starting uh, a new series for you uh, for this Advent period, uh, Preparing for the King. And as Paul said earlier, Advent is about remembering that Jesus Christ is going to come again as the great King uh, who will be perfectly obvious to everybody. No one will be in any doubt whatsoever that he is the King um, and everybody will bow the knee. And in order to get our thinking straight about preparing for that great day. We don't know when it'll happen. It could be tomorrow. It could be another 2,000 years. We have no idea. But in order to prepare for that great day, what do we do? And the answer is, we look to those scriptures that show us Jesus in his particularly kingly role when he was clearly the king in the New Testament. And we draw lessons from that. And that's because of the way prophecy in the Bible works. Uh, In the Bible, you have a prophet of God who speaks a word of God and it is fulfilled in the near term in some way. Um, And then it is very often fulfilled again in the medium term and then finally and fully fulfilled in the longer term. So it's a bit like a mountain range. As you're climbing up a mountain, you see what you think is the top, you get to the top, and you discover there's a further one beyond it that you didn't see originally. It's all part of the same mountain, but you have to keep going uh, to to get to the top. And that's what's happening uh, with Jesus in our passage today in Matthew 21. It started in the very beginning of Matthew 21 with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He comes as the king into his capital. And as you read through chapter 21, you discover he's acting as the king. He's holding people to account for what they've been doing with everything that God has given them. And he's particularly uh, um, 
uh, concerned about what the religious leaders of his day were doing. Um, And then as we come to the particular part that we read just now, we, we, we enter into the middle of a dialogue that Jesus is having with the religious leaders. Because the religious leaders are saying, well, who do you think you are then? Here you are, entering our temple, throwing everything into chaos. Who do you think you are? By what authority do you do these things? Why do you claim to be king? And Jesus' answer to them in the immediately preceding passage is, uh, I'll answer you when you answer me. A little bit like I was trying to turn it round on Paul earlier uh, in the um, interview. He's far too long in the tooth to allow me to get away with those things. Um, but, but, but Jesus does that to the, to the religious leaders. Uh, and he says to them, look, I'll answer you if you tell me one thing. John the Baptist, was he a messenger from God? Or wasn't he? And they're flummoxed. Because they know everybody thinks John is a messenger from God. And yet, if they say, well, he's a messenger from God, Jesus will say to them, well, why don't you believe him then? So they said, well, we don't know. And he said, well, in that case, I shan't answer you either if you won't answer me. And then we pick up the passage we read today. So it's in the context of Jesus' authority as king being questioned, Jesus pointing them to John the Baptist, because there's obviously something very significant about John the Baptist, and then the particular story we have today of two sons, one of whom says, no, I shan't, but changes his mind and does, and the other who says, certainly I'll do it, but has no intention of doing so. And it's a passage that tells us that John the Baptist's message that he brought from God, the message of repentance, was a crucial component of preparing to meet the king. So they are questioning him about his authority. He says... I'm not going to tell you my authority until your hearts are right before God, until you've repented. And here in this story, we get a story of repentance. So if you and I are to be ready for the arrival of the great King Jesus, we also need to learn these lessons of repentance. Someone said to me the other day, you don't come to Jesus except by John the Baptist. So what does this passage tell us about repentance? Here's the first thing. Repentance involves a change of mind. Repentance involves a change of mind. Now, do you see that uh, in, in the passage, that a change of mind is frequently in view? So in verse 29, uh, the first son says, I will not when his father asks him to go and work in the vineyard. But later he changed his mind and went. And then um, uh, 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 later still, when um, uh, Jesus is pointing to how the tax collectors and prostitutes, actually they repented, he says to the religious leaders, after you saw this, you did not repent. Or in other versions, you did not repent change your mind repentance involves a change of mind it's something that goes on in our heads now it's not the same as being sorry Um, you can be 
sorry because, I don't know, you've done something and other people got hurt. And you're sorry they got hurt, but you're not really sorry for your actions. Or you can be sorry that you were caught. Um, and, and if people say, are you sorry? You say, oh, yes, certainly. Sorry, I was caught. I, I was um, travelling uh, on the tube in London the other day, picked up a copy of the Evening Standard, and there were two stories on politicians who'd changed their minds about things, or rather been forced to change their minds. One of them was the Liberal Democrat, the Lib Dem candidate for Richmond, who's standing against Zach Goldsmith. Um, and her pledge is that she's going to vote against the, uh, uh, in the House of Commons, the start of the Article 50 negotiations on Brexit, because she's a, she's a, a candidate advocating Remain. Uh, and then one journalist looked back at some of her tweets, uh, where she previously said before she was a can, what she'd previously said before she was a candidate, and um, uh, and in that she'd said um, we have we all have to accept the referendum result. So the data, she, she was asked about this and she said, oh, no, 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 I, I, um, I wasn't a candidate then, but since I've been a candidate, I've realised I've got to take a stronger view. So I've, I've changed my mind about that. Uh, and then the date of the tweet was pointed out to her, which was clearly after she became a candidate. And her response was, oh, no. I thought that was quite endearing, really. <laughs> but um, um, I, you know, it, was the, it was the, oh, I've been found out type of response. Now, repentance isn't that. Repentance is a change of mind. So the first son who refused to agree to his father's request to work in the vineyard didn't say to himself, well, actually, I didn't really mean that. I intended to work in the vineyard all along. No. At first he thought, no, why should I? And later he thought, actually, that was wrong. I need to obey my father. It was a, a genuine change of mind. Uh, with the other son, of course, it wasn't anything like that. The other son says, yes, I'll go. Uh, but he didn't really change his mind at all when he subsequently decided not to work in the vineyard. He'd never intended to work there in the first place. Now, that little bit of the picture tells us something very important about repentance and preparing for the king. Uh, it, it says to us that there needs to be a genuine change of mind in us about the way in which we're leading our life. We were going that way. I was deciding to do things my way, to do things the way the rest of the world does. I was going that direction. But as a result of realising I'm going to meet the king who has the right to tell me how to live my life, I'm going to turn round and I'm going to head in that direction. That is repentance, a change of mind about where you're heading. And of course, if you're going to do that, you must be open to the possibility that the way you were going could be wrong and that you do actually need to change. You, you have to have an open mind to the possibility of change. Uh, and that, of course, is exactly what the religious leaders of Jesus' day did not have. So although they were confronted with evidence in verse 32 of what happened to the tax collectors and prostitutes, 
In verse 32, John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Although confronted with evidence, they didn't change their minds because they had already decided that John the Baptist wasn't someone to take seriously and the message of repentance did not apply to them. Now, that makes it sound as though um, you know, everyone's at fault and that repentance is something that we've got to do to sort of get into God's good books before Jesus Christ comes again. Can I just say that changing your mind and going in a different direction is a wonderful release. It's a wonderful release. Um, if, you've, if, if, if you've ever wondered why Christians talk about the liberation that Jesus offers, try repentance. Because you, the things that you think are so important, you suddenly realize were things that were trapping you, holding you back, inhibiting you. And you turn around to follow God's way of living. And what do you discover? You discover that actually life is more human rather than less human. You see, if we do things our way, we will end up acting selfishly. And that dehumanizes us all. People who are selfish always sort of diminish the, 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 the circles in which they move. But when we follow God's way, we discover that we're becoming more human, more in relationship with other people, more open, uh, more loving. Uh, I don't know if you ever read in the Times an article by uh, the columnist Matthew Paris uh, entitled, As an Atheist, I Truly Believe Africa Needs God. Um, and he describes his boyhood experience of Africa um, and uh, his perception of those that were still embedded in traditional African life and those who were converted by Christian missionaries. And he said this, the Christians were always different. Far from having cowed or confined its converts, their faith appeared to have liberated and relaxed them. There was a liveliness, a curiosity, an engagement with the world, a directness in their dealings with others that seemed to be missing in traditional African life. They stood tall. That's an atheist talking about how he saw uh, people who had decided to change direction. So first then, repentance is a change of mind. Secondly, repentance means a change of attitude. Repentance means a change of attitude. What was the attitude of the son in verse 29? Uh, you might say, when he said to his father, no... You might say that he had a lazy attitude towards work. But the more important attitude on display is that he had a particular attitude to his father, didn't he? It was a rebellious attitude. And what about the other son in verse 30? Well, actually, as you look at the fact that he says one thing and does another, you realise he too has got a rebellious attitude to his father. But the difference between the two sons 
is that the first son changes his mind and as a result has a new attitude to his father. It's an attitude of obedience. Whereas the other son, well, he remains rebellious. Now, that change of attitude uh, is, is, is what is so vital because repentance puts our relationship with the person that we're seeking to change our minds about onto a new footing. I heard on Newsnight last week that diplomats the world over are booking out all the rooms in Trump Tower uh, in New York uh, because what they're trying to do is backtrack on what their governments have previously said about Donald Trump and get into his good books by shoving money into his business. They're doing so in the hope of what? In the hope of putting their relationship onto a new footing. And that's what repentance does. It puts a relationship onto a new footing. That's what uh, the tax collectors and prostitutes saw as a possibility in verses 31 and 32. They decided to trust John the Baptist's message by repenting so that they could put their relationship with God on a new footing. And, you know, anybody in those days thinking about tax collectors and prostitutes would have said, well, goodness me, uh, you know, if anybody needs to be on a new footing with God, it's them. I mean, tax collectors are leeches on God's people and, and prostitutes are living in open defiance of God's law. Well, they certainly need a new footing. But the religious leaders... Well, by contrast, they thought that they were fine. They thought they were already okay with God. And therefore, they refused to repent. And of course, they're like the other son, aren't they? The one that says things are okay, but in practice are showing that things are very far from okay. Repentance and relationship. I read uh, uh, an interview last week with uh, Parkinson. He said he had uh, fallen out with Helen Mirren uh, over an interview he did with her on the uh, Parky show um, back in the 70s. Um, And he had apparently made some sexist remarks, or she certainly felt they were sexist, uh, but he never apologised for them. And here he was in his 80s being interviewed about it, and he said, I'm not going to apologise because I don't want to make it up with her. He said, it's not World War III, it's just two people, but I don't want to make it up with her. Isn't that interesting? He wasn't repenting because he didn't want a different relationship. Well, when Jesus began his ministry, he announced that the kingdom of God was near, and he said, repent and believe the good news. We don't come to King Jesus except by John the Baptist. And repentance is us saying to Jesus, we have spent our lives living our own way, ignoring what God had to say about it, even though he is our creator, he made us to live a particular way, and we just copped a snook at him and said, no, we'll do it our way. And we now realize that that was a great offense to him, that we've ruined Uh, the world that he created to be so wonderful uh, and we've probably ruined ourselves. So we're repenting. We're now saying we no longer 
want to do that. We want to be reconciled to him and to be obedient to him. It's a new relationship. So repentance then, a change of mind. Secondly, a change of attitude. Thirdly and finally, a change of behaviour. A change of behaviour. In verse 32, we're told that the tax collectors and prostitutes believed John the Baptist. Uh, But that even when the religious authorities saw it, they didn't change their minds. Now, the question that left me with was, how do you see what a person believes? Jesus says that the religious authorities saw the belief of the tax collectors and prostitutes. What did they see? Well, the answer was, they saw a change in behavior. That's the thing that you notice about people, isn't it? When things happen, it was a change of behavior. Uh, Last week, I did a confirmation service in Tooting in the evening. One of the great things I've discovered, I could have added this into my answer to Paul earlier, one of the great things I've discovered as a bishop is the joys of confirmation services. Hitherto, I've always rather dismissed them but um, uh, I'm I'm now doing them and discovering they're rather rather wonderful. Not least because uh, all of these uh, wonderful people are saying what God has done in their lives and and the way in which he's changed them. And it's a a marvellous thing to hear. Well, last Sunday evening in Tooting, one of the candidates uh, being confirmed was a man who had repeatedly been sent to prison in the past. And he was being interviewed by the vicar and, and the vicar is a delightful man, um, uh, 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 and I don't think I'd be telling tales out of school to say he's, he's extraordinarily posh. Um, so, so there he was, sort of interviewing this man, saying, so, so do you think you could tell me how, how, how exactly it uh, happened for you then? And, and, then? and the response is, well, it was like this. And, um, uh, and it, uh, but it was a joy. Here were two brothers in Christ, um, you know, sharing the good news of what God had done in this man's life. And he spoke about the changes in his life and his joy at discovering all the good news that existed in the Bible. He said, it was as though I was in a sweet shop and I had the full run of the place. Um, And um, uh, it was was a dramatic change that had taken place in his life. And the religious authorities saw it and they were unmoved. Well, very hard hearts they had, didn't they, to be unmoved by that. You see, the the thing is, uh, genuine repentance is lived out in our lives. It's, It's no good just saying those words of confession that we said earlier if it doesn't then lead to us changing the way we live. Um, as David Pawson once said, um, repentance means not just saying sorry, but being sorry enough to stop. Do you remember the story in Wind in the Willows uh, after Toad is caught for speeding? Badger says to him, are you really sorry? Toad looks up and says, no, it was glorious. (laughs) And some of us are a bit like that. We say that we confess our sins and are repentant on the one hand, and actually our actions seem to indicate that we believe something completely different. But you see, the thing about changing your mind about Christ is that he does have this wonderful effect in our lives. He does make life more human. He does make it full of hope. 
Because the prospect of the king coming and establishing his kingdom fully and finally, where there is no more pain and hurt, no more compromises that we have to make, where we're in perfect relationship with other people and with him, where we're able to enjoy life as it was meant to be lived in a society that is not falling apart and in an environment that is no longer corrupted. What a wonderful prospect that is. And when we become Christians, we repent because we're trusting Jesus. We trust that because he's the king, he will rule well. And we show that by following his rule in our lives. And when we follow his rule in our lives, it's not onerous. It's not following a set of rules. It's a wonderful way to live. We're not doing it because we want to commend ourselves to him. We're doing it because we have repented. We know that's the the way to go. That's the way we'll be blessed in our lives. And even when we fall away, we know we can repent again and and sort of alter the course back. Um, And he will accept us. It's a wonderful thing to do. And when Jesus comes again, what does he want to find? He wants to find his followers going about their daily business on earth his way. Living life his way. Showing in their lives that they are repentant people. Well, have you ever decided to repent? To turn back to God? Because if not, well, can I say, the king could return at any time. Do it now. And are you a Christian of many years standing? And you're wondering whether this message is of relevance to you. Well, can I say we all need to continue to repent? You see, who was this message given to? It was given to religious people, people who thought they were all right. And sometimes as Christians, we can convince ourselves everything's all right, I don't need to do anything. Actually, we all need to do things all the time. And the response to hearing God's word is always repentance and faith. So let's pray as we prepare for the coming of the King that we have repentant hearts. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this straightforward story from Jesus, but carrying so much importance for us. Please help us to recognize that Jesus is the King. He does have the right to tell us how to live. Help us to prepare for his return by aligning our wills with his, by repenting of our way of doing things, and by showing that in our lives. We ask these things in his name. Amen.